Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters. Ten volumes available in paperback, ebook, and Kindle format at Amazon. And if you're late to the podcast and you didn't hear last week's show, volume 10 is now in Audible. So ten books in paperback, ebook. And ten back, uh, ten backs, ten books at Audible for your listening pleasure. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. Easy for you to say, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ten forward, <laughs> ten backward, ten books. <laughs> ten bucks, ten books. Ten whatever. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, you know how it is. It is all good. I'll tell you how it is. I just looked at the thermometer on the deck, and it's 60 degrees here tonight, which is all right with me. Yeah, I am, uh, as you know, I'm out in Wichita, Kansas tonight. Um, yeah. And uh, it's pretty warm here. And tomorrow, back in Raleigh, when I fly home, it's supposed to break the all-time record, like 86 degrees or something. Ain't nothing wrong with that, brother. No, it's just screwing up the plants, though. <laughs> the tulips are probably going to come up this weekend, thinking it's springtime. <laughs> well, if they come up, they'll go back again. They will go back again. <laughs> they will go back again. Yeah, folks, if you wonder how me and my brother do this, sometimes it's a tricky wicket because, as Kevin just said, I'm in Long Island, and Kev is in Wichita, Kansas. Tonight, at least. <laughs> Tonight. My mission takes me here. Yeah, with your wolf of 38. <laughs> with any luck, I'll be back in Raleigh tomorrow. Okay, well, that's how it works. So do you want to talk about a long-distance podcast? Uh, Long Island, New York, Wichita, Kansas, talking smack about Bigfoot, <laughs> brother. <laughs> yes, sir. And this week in Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities, we're going to go into the other oddities and mm -hmm. a little bit of Egyptian afterlife. Oh, all yeah. right. So uh, <laughs> about a week ago at the uh, Getty Museum out in uh, California, they started to put a new exhibition on display. And ah. it's uh, a collection 
of uh, stories, we'll say. Not really stories. Uh -huh. Called uh -huh. The Book of the Dead. Yeah, interesting. Have you heard of The Book of the Dead? I have heard of The Book oh, of the Dead. okay. <laughs> so these go back uh, probably about 1550 B.C. They mm -hmm. believe they started to get published. And, um, you know, the Egyptians uh, in ancient Egypt uh, believed very heavily in the afterlife, right? You know, the whole mummification and everything like that. And, of course, it's interesting when you stop and think about it, their average age was about 30 three years old, 34 years old. So you can mm -hmm. see why they were pretty focused on the afterlife, right? You know, because um, the current life was pretty darn short. <laughs> it was a short stint. It was a short stint. And, you know, when, when, they, when they buried all of those folks, well, especially the affluent, yes. like the pharaohs and whatnot, yes. uh, they were supposedly putting everything in their tomb that they would need or take over with them. Exactly. But as we all know, other people needed them more than they did. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, so, <laughs> but don't let me interrupt you, brother. No, and then, um, so they would also um, bring things with them, like you said, Bill, statues and stuff like that, and, and statues that they wanted to come with them in the afterlife, and then other things that would protect them. But in addition to objects, apparently they would bring prayers with them. Or more accurately, what I said earlier, stories more like spells to mm. protect them. And it's pretty interesting. So this Book of the Dead is actually a collection of many, many spells um, that these folks would uh, take with them in the afterlife to protect, to protect them in the afterlife. And what's interesting is they didn't actually bring a book with them, right? Just in case there's any okay. confusion. But there mm -hmm. was a book of spells and then people would write down various spells on pieces of paper or write them inside of their tomb or write them inside of their sarcophagus or, you know, uh, coffin. Um, mm -hmm. And um, that would so that the, the dead person would have access to the spell if they needed it. Very strange indeed. Well, it gets a little stranger. So, <laughs> right, yeah. so each spell was intended for a specific situation that the dead okay. might encounter along the way on their journey. Mm -hmm. Like running into a Sasquatch. <laughs> Perhaps. I didn't come across that one. <laughs> but for example, spell number 33... <laughs> which I could use this one in my current life, was used to ward off snakes. Oh, uh, yeah. And yeah. especially snakes, get this, which had an unsettling taste for chewing the bones of a putrid cat. Ah, uh, come that's on. That's how the translation goes, brother. <laughs> chewing the bones of a putrid cat. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, uh, you know, a snake that would chew the bones of a putrid cat might be a good protector for you. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, I'm, I, I guess I, that's not I that's why I'm not an, uh, an ancient Egyptian. <laughs> well, we know they had some nasty snakes over there, right? Didn't they have the... Oh, yeah, the asps. 
ass pit vipers. You name it. Those desert snakes, sidewinders. Uh, there's nothing worse than snakes, oh, man. man. You know, you don't you don't even have them up there on Long Island, the bad ones. We got copperheads all over the place, water moccasins down by the river. It's like, whoa. Yeah, no, I, I have no I interest in them, man. Yeah, yeah, no interest. And they're nasty, uh, unrelenting creatures. Well, you know? and it's like, you know, some people, like I lived in Arizona for a while, as you know, and we had rattlesnakes everywhere. But the rattlesnakes yeah. are great because they warn you. Yeah. You know, they don't want to bite you. They rattle at you to scare you away. Yeah, get away. Yeah. I'm laying over you. Yeah, here. don't step on me. <laughs> so, so yeah, you got the putrid cat spell, and they talk about the fact that without the right spells, you might be decapitated, which is spell 43, placed onto a slaughter block, spell 50, or perhaps uh. most humiliating of all, get this, turned upside down, which spell 51 prevented, and the bad thing about being turned upside down is that it would reverse your digestive functions and cause you to consume your own waste. Ah. How do you like them apples? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I don't think anybody... Well, look, man, uh, in case anybody's interested, when you're dead, there's nothing to consume. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the, on their journey in the afterlife, mm-hmm. you know, they, mm-hmm. they needed these spells because they viewed, and this part's pretty interesting, Bill, they viewed the fact, or they believed that they would come in contact with a lot of terrifying creatures between the current world and the afterlife. And the reason why they'd come in contact with these terrifying creatures is to scare the souls of folks that were trying to access the afterlife but don't belong in the afterlife. So that's kind of interesting, a, right? It's, a, you know, a little bit like gazing into hell, I guess, you know, if you didn't belong in heaven. Um, yeah, well, uh, they might not have been far from the truth on that one in a twisted exactly. way. But, uh, you know, uh, such strange practices and odd beliefs, you know. Super strange. And, you know, the the quote related to that one is that uh, the texts say that entering in among the gods is a very restricted thing. Yeah. You know, when I hear stuff like this, I can't help but thinking... Uh, what Moses and Aaron were up against when they first approached uh, Pharaoh, uh, telling him that he had to let the Jewish people go, the Hebrews go. And you had these people that had all of these beliefs and these strange practices and stuff, and here was this guy stepping in there with his... Aaron's rod and telling him that God wants you to let his people go. You know, we're so far removed from that segment anyway that it's almost hard to imagine it going on, you know? No, I mean, that's where, you know, like the, you know, the classic movie, The Ten Commandments, really captures that pretty well, right? With Yul Brenner being the Pharaoh, you know. 
Right. Charlton, Charlton Heston, Heston like played barefoot or sandal, whatever, coming in and yeah. talking to him. And here's a not only the richest of the rich, but a god, you know, believed to be a mm -hmm. god in himself on earth. And right. them having this conversation together, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, not very, very odd, you know, and when you look into some of the tombs that have been opened, and of course the, the valuables that came out of the tomb of Tutankhamun, uh, which we all know about and have seen for decades, uh, they were uh, they were a strange group, man. No doubt, no doubt. You know, now it's interesting, though, they describe the intended destination of the afterlife as being a realm of the gods and a safe haven of eternal paradise, a field mm -hmm. of gently waving reeds that resembled the idealized version of Egypt that the deceased had left behind. The lush landscape had field hands who helped each arrival sow, plow, and harvest the grain that supplied the sustenance for the gods. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Book of the Dead. <clears throat> now, was this actually uh, a collection of what had been gathered out of a variety of tombs that was put into? Yeah, well, they apparently it was written down, so they, they found it on, you know, the papyrus. Okay. Right? But they would actually... People would, like, it was confusing to me. I was like, so what they do? They didn't have printers, right? And I don't think they rewrote this book every time and sent everyone with a book under mm -hmm. their arms. So they talk about the fact that spells were inscribed on nearly every available space inside of burials. Some were painted okay. on the interior and exterior of the sarcophagi. Others were imprinted on shrouds, statuettes, amulets, and magical bricks that embedded the walls of the tombs. Now, if you know, I'm not putting you on the spot. Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not putting you on the spot, but I am. <laughs> uh, were the majority of these, quote, spells found uh, in the majority of tombs? Or were they one here, two there, three from this guy, four from this tomb? I mean, were they kind of unified in their usage? There were, uh, you know, they talk about the fact that there were many typically in the tombs, many written down. Okay. Um, okay. But I would imagine, you know, people picked from the menu, like of what they thought was appropriate, you know, like snakes, yeah. you know, being hung upside down, whatever it was you and thought he, was most appropriate, because you couldn't put all of them. Yeah, well, you you know, uh, if you're worried about eating your waist, you want to lock into a 51. Exactly. That 50, or 51 is your uh, favorite number, then that's the one you're going with. Yeah, and then 33, of course. Yeah. You know. And then they, but, they, uh, take, they talk about the fact, too, that sometimes um, they would, uh, you know, when they were doing like a, a mummified body, right, which they did, they would write some of these spells. They found them written on linen strips that were inked with the spells and then wrapped around the mummified bodies as part of the ritual embalming. Wow, so they were really just like wrapping them in it, you know, sealing it to yeah, them. Yeah, well, you this know? way, you know, you got it in contact with your face, 
maybe it's easier to get to if you need it, if you run into those snakes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and they say, like this this one Dr. Cole, who's the, one of the curators of the show at the Getty, he says that made this, this part of writing on the bandages, made the relationship of the people to the Book of the Dead even more personal. Mm. It's personal. Yeah, well, it's attached to you in a manner of speaking, exactly. you know. Uh, but very, very strange stuff indeed, you know. And they're uh, still digging over there, um, locating, you know, uh, out in the valleys and stuff, uncovering more and more stuff. No doubt about it. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing how much work uh, they put in uh, to that area in the underground. Yeah. And how many people rode around out there after the fact, not knowing what was un beneath them? Well, and like you uh, said, they're, they're still finding this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's not always obvious. No, not But at now all. we have yeah. now we have LIDAR and stuff, ground penetrating radar. So you could actually see beneath the the earth, and if there are structures there, uh that's gonna be pretty evident. You know, in that area, yeah. I would imagine. And, and by the way, not always obvious, like you said, and still quite dangerous. You know, these yeah. these tombs are booby trapped. You know, mm -hmm. um, when you're crawling in there to explore, you know. Yeah, like what do you think's in there? A uh, putrid, flesh eating uh, ass. I mean, there could be. Waiting for Better you. Better bring that spell with you wrapped around your bicep. <laughs> Maybe you get a new, you know, you get like a tattoo. I'll go to the tattoo parlor here in Wichita and say, can you give me uh, an Egyptian spell that protects me from a putrid, uh, a putrid flesh-eating cat? <laughs> yeah, I got that, buddy. Sit down. <laughs> Sit down. It costs you 300 <laughs> What color you want? <laughs> I wanted to color your face what color, ugly. What color you want the putrid flesh to be? <laughs> so uh, any of our listeners wanted, out there, so that's it, Bill, for cryptids in the news yeah. and other oddies. But I got to share this with you. So I'm, yeah, I'm liking yeah. Wichita. So I don't want to get a bunch of mail of how much I hate Wichita because I don't hate it. I like it. The airport is pretty cool. It's a pretty famous aviation town. And we know I like aviation. But when I look out my window of my hotel here, this is the absolute truth, there is a huge billboard. And it says, Best Body Shop. It's got a picture of a guy with a long beard on it. And it says, <laughs> The Filet Mignon of Body Shops. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a great advertisement. I think it's just proven how stupid you are. I think it shows that the people in Wichita have a good appreciation for steak and a good appreciation <laughs> for auto body. Because <laughs> I was looking uh, well, at that at first, Bill. Well, I got in late last night. I woke up this morning. I looked out the window. It was still dark. It was lit up. And I was like, you know, sometimes I travel so much I forget where I am. And I'm like, is that like for plastic surgery or what? And I'm like, 
<laughs> no, wait, this is actually a car body shop. <laughs> yeah. The filet mignon. The body shops. Of body shops. How do you like that, Bubba? That's what I'm talking about, <laughs> Bubba. <laughs> so that's it, Bill. What do you got as an account this week? Got any <clears throat> well, putrid, flesh-eating cats? <laughs> yeah, putrid, flesh-eating Bigfoot. <laughs> uh, we can only hope. Yeah, right. Uh, this account was shared with me by a lady named Laura Silvers, a resident of the state of Michigan. And this is what Laura had to say. I know many people do not associate women with hunting, but I come from a family with quite a lineage of female hunters dating back to my great-grandmother and coming forward. At any rate, we had booked an early-season bear hunt up up north in Saskatchewan, Canada. We finally arrived at the camp on the edge of a lake with a small boat dock and a cabin. We were asked to begin mixing bait for the hunt as soon as we arrived. Jerry, this fellow, used a mix of oats and cooking oil, creating this kind of stretchy, loose dough in a small cement mixer. It was pretty late when we had completed the mix, so we all crashed in the cabin, resting for an early morning start. We loaded two boats with bait barrels and our tree stands in the morning, heading across the lake into two different areas. The barrels were set up in several locations with tree stands overlooking them at a distance of about 40 yards, perhaps a little more. I had stayed in one of the spots, climbing up into the stand and waiting. The day was overcast with a mist and drizzle passing through in waves to the point where the afternoon was waning. Some big birds were cawing the entire afternoon somewhere not too far from where I sat, but I never saw them. They were loud, so they must have been relatively large, probably like a crow or something like that. From my perspective, a trail came from behind me over my right shoulder, with the tree, of course, up against me. I looked over a small clearing with striped lo- or stripped logs stacked at 40 yards. Half filled with the bait, the 50-gallon plastic blue drum was placed atop this pile of logs, with some logs stuck in the openings cut into the side of it. Five or six boars had come out of the woods, drawn in by the bait at different times. Each one run off by a larger boar making the scene. Finally, a large bear came in, now standing on the pile of logs, pulling at them, or pulling at the logs that were stuck in the opening of the drum, trying to get at the mix. It was amazing to see how easily they could drag or pull at a log with their paws like it was nothing, their focus being just to get at the bait. Now, I'm thinking this boar I will take. When below my stand and to my right, an even larger bear emerges coming down this trail and into the clearing. 
The boar at the barrel didn't seem too concerned, looking at the other boar and continuing with the feast at hand. This other boar had climbed upon the pile and started sniffing the bear, after which the two climbed down and started wrestling with each other. It didn't look like a fierce competition to me, more like play, which went on for about 10 minutes. And when they had finished, the two of them were now working on the barrel and trying to reach inside together. Then I took my shot at the larger of the two. Having been hit, the bear leaped off the pile, running into the brush, and I could hear him fall soon after, going into a death moan in the trees. It took a little while for the guide to get in and begin to strip down the bear, which I was more than willing to help with. The birds I told you about kept up their cawing the entire afternoon, stopping only briefly when the shot rang out and beginning again when it was over. I was nervous, now down out of the stand and knowing how many black bears were in this forest, having seen six or seven myself in several hours. The guide worked fast, trimming up the spore that was about 600 pounds, when suddenly all the birds stopped their cawing. I told you, they went at it all afternoon without ceasing, and now they were quiet. I had paused when this occurred while Jerry kept cutting away, saying nothing. Seconds later, a loud, crisp wood knock resonated in the woods, sounding like it was not far from us, just like a wood block in an orchestra sounds, clean and perfect for my hearing it. Jerry didn't say a word, but he looked like he was shaking as he continued the work. I don't believe it was a minute later that a tree came crashing down again not far from us. I could hear the branches making their way through the surrounding trees, finishing off with a crash when it hit the ground, and then I broke the ice with Jerry. I said to him, Are you hearing all of this? What is going on? He told me, it's getting late, and there are a lot of big critters in these woods. It's probably just a big boar trying to impress a sow, and he kept working. That is when the howl happened. Whatever it was, and I didn't see it, let out this blast in the woods. And that's when Jerry said, We will have to leave the rest. We need time to get back before darkness falls. And we gathered up our things and left. This howl was solid and long, shaking me to my core. And I was looking at Jerry when it began as he almost cut through his finger with the knife. We left everything behind, grabbing only our immediate belongings, guns, meat, and gear, taking off for the edge of the lake and the boat, and it was over. Jerry didn't say a word on the trip back to the base camp. We were there for several more days, and I had never known any hunter to abandon their kill in the woods under any circumstances. I believe now that Jerry was afraid for himself and me at the time, having done so. 
During the evening, he pulled his helpers outside for a chat, which we weren't invited to. I imagined he was sharing with them what had transpired in the woods, but I will never know. For the rest of the days there, I was on edge, with Gary and his crew sticking with the whole bear thing when the subject was breached, constantly evading my conversation to further my inquiry. I believe that it... (coughs) Excuse me. I believe that a Sasquatch was closing in on us that day, knowing what I did then and further knowing what I do now. I've heard bears growl and roar briefly, but this was no bear. This sound that I heard could have hurt you at close range. It was that loud and prolonged. That was no coincidence, coupled with the perfect knock and the tree falling. I'm 43 years old, and I was 26 when that incident occurred in Canada. Much more cautious since then in my approach to hunting in every respect. Encounters with these creatures are life-changing events for those fortunate or unfortunate enough to have experienced them. In some respect, this may have ruined part of my joy when hunting. I fully understand those who have PTSD now experiencing it myself regularly. I expect the unexpected to happen whenever I am near or in the woods. Something to jump out and try to attack me, or seeing something frightening. I can't shake it. I have made excuses since then, avoiding specific invites to hunt, making excuses of being busy with other things to do with the like. I have friends asking me what's wrong and if something is bothering me regularly, which I avoid at every front. I have shared with you, Bill, something that not a single person in my life has heard in the past 17 or 18 years, and it's been a blessing to me. So thank you for what you are doing. I know you are an author, but you may have missed your calling as a therapist. Just kidding. I thought that was kind of neat how she uh, put that in there. Because, you, you know, some people you talk to, Kev, relative to Bigfoot, and they express that they are legitimately grateful for just having somebody to hear it out. Yeah, well, and, and part uh, of it is that kind of semi-anonymous confessional, right? I mean, you know, I know it's not truly anonymous, but it could be. Like, you don't know if these people are telling you the truth about who they are when they talk to you, right? Like they could right. they could be using a fake name. And they certainly yep. know, kind of like a confessional, that you're not going to judge them. You know, they're calling the Bigfoot guy to talk about Bigfoot. Yeah, and they know they know it's a safe Yeah, place, compared to talking to, to their boss at work and if they're right. an airline pilot and thinking, okay, they're going to write me up and I'm never going to fly again. Yeah, well, you know, and this... Uh, Laura uh, said the first time in 17 or 18 years that I've told anybody yeah, about this. Yeah. And uh, so she had her own notions as to what was going on there and put two and two together about this guy leaving the unfinished bear in the woods 
and saying we got to go before it gets dark. Well, then another classic, Bill, like how many people write in and say, how do I see a Sasquatch, you know? And here it is, like people that are regular, very experienced hunters, bear hunters. So, you know, you're going after some of the near apex predators, if not apex predators, and you're up in Saskatchewan. Yeah. You know, and you're out in the woods for days, up in mm-hmm. the tree stand. Yeah, you're you're probably going to be the one, and you've been doing it for many years. You're going to be right. the one that's likely to see a Sasquatch. Yeah, and they're baiting. Oh, yeah. Baiting I and mean, dro- uh, mixing up the oats and cooking oil in barrels or cement mixers, right? And Yeah, I mean, these guys barrels. ain't fooling around, they're, you know. They're not looking for squirrels. <laughs> 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 I've never heard of anybody mixing any kind of bait in a cement mixer. <laughs> but I mean, if you, I guess if you want to make up some big batches of something in a hurry, it's talk about your KitchenAid mixer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what are you doing? I'm making mashed potatoes. Oh, a Sasquatch. In a cement mixer? <laughs> How many people are you feeding? None. M- me and Just you. Just a big hairy man. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. That's awesome. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Canada, there's a lot of activity up there, man. Definitely. There's a lot of activity up there, but that's not to take away. You know, Kev, I just, and by the way, Neil, if you're out there, God bless you, brother. I had a couple of good uh, conversations with a fellow named Neil down in Georgia, Mm. and uh, I took an account from him and there was like a secondary account uh that had developed uh not too long after the first and it was all due to him being willing to converse and share with somebody else what had happened the first time around mm-hmm. so in other words because he wasn't zip-lipped with this individual about what had happened on this property, the other story came forward, now he being willing to share with Neil. All right. So that's that's the way a lot of things go. And you've heard, folks, you've heard me say this before. Because I'm willing to shoot my mouth off and uh, bear the brunt of criticism or whatever may be coming my way, I get into a lot of stuff. And it may be hauntings. It may be... UFO encounters, it may be strange things that happen to people, but when they hear me going down that road, they feel okay about telling me, and they do. So uh, it's it's interesting. You know, 100%. Interesting. Yeah, 100%. You know. And I love, and too, the pe- description that, again of that sound, the howling sound, where they talked about the fact, like, if you were close enough, like, it would damage you or something, which, you know, that's what we've heard before. It's like a freight train whistle. Yeah, just, like, just bellowing, voluminous. Super loud and vibrating uh, your body. Kev, do you remember that one you sent me that day? If it was true, it was recorded by that man with a couple of little kids standing with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a good one. And now, look, you know, I don't like to get in that camp where I think everything is untrue. 
But when I listened to that man, I, I, look, you couldn't tell listening to it if that thing was 200 feet away or 1,000 feet away. But my God, that was just loud and deep and just like if that thing was next to you or close to you and let that out, it quite possibly could cause your turn away, maybe even fall down just to cover your ears and your head to protect yourself, yeah, no you know? So I, I get it, you know, and I, I, to be honest with you, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in that picture uh, to experience no, that, you know. I'll take your I'm word for it. close enough you know? listening to the story. Now, I just put uh, uh, an account in volume 12. Yeah, folks, I'm working on volume 12. Uh, Eleven is at my book lady, and uh, she's working on that, putting that together into paperback, and I have to get that launched before I can record that. And I'm actually working on 12 now, so it's a constant process. But when we talk about the volume, and she's talking about this, this fella and his father were very wealthy. Uh, they were wildcatters in Texas. Uh, he said that in 1965, the family business was worth just shy of $500 million. Well, in 1965. Right, which is in the neighborhood of maybe $6 billion today. So they hurt for nothing. Uh, they were hunters, and they had gone on a hunt uh, in Washington at the time which he said was nothing like, if you think there aren't too many people there today, there was less then. And uh, this thing let out a howling, screaming roar by them that he compared as being greater than a bull elephant that had charged them in their safari truck at close range in Africa. Wow. Now, I've never heard a bull elephant charging my safari truck in Africa. <laughs> but I would imagine it was pretty intimidating when one of them big buggers lets out their bugle or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. No, I've, I haven't experienced that either. Yeah, and he said that this thing, you know, blew that away. So, uh, again, we're talking about something that really has a set of lungs that can really crank it up, you know? Oh, yeah. So, uh, man, I don't know. Like I told you, Kev, Joey said, if you don't want to get framed, stay out of the picture. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that is one situation that I do not want to get framed Joey. in. Yeah. Close up and personal with the big man. All right, wow. Bill. Okay, so good stuff. Great account. Uh, Great account. We got some good listener mail this week as well. Mm -hmm. First one uh, comes in, uh, let's see here, from Jay. And he writes, hello, I discovered your podcast when WJ was on Coast to Coast AM radio earlier this year. Mm -hmm. I immediately found your site and started listening from the beginning. Okay. I'm pretty sure I've heard every podcast now. Well, not everyone, because you haven't heard this one, Jay. 
And I was wondering about the Mount St. Helens Bigfoot that I read about when the mountain erupted. Yeah. I don't think I've heard you guys talk about it, so I'm wondering if it's true. I remember reading yeah. that there were many encounters with Bigfoot escaping the mountain while it was erupting, and many yeah. more um, that many more Bigfoot that were found dead after the eruption. And then Jay mm -hmm. gives us a couple of links to some articles, which I'm definitely going to look into. Mm -hmm. Now, I have one uh, encounter that I entitled The Ash Men. A-S-H, The Ash Men. Be careful with that pronunciation. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you can... Well, Not to be mind. confused with a famous... Uh, Seinfeld episode. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this fellow in the account claims to have been hunting, uh, albeit miles away from Mount Helens, the morning that it blew. And he wound up in a cloud of ash uh, and smoke whatever was floating out in his direction to the point where he was almost blinded. Yeah. And when he finally covered in this crap himself, was trying to get his act together, as you would imagine, he saw two figures coming in the distance uh, near to him. And, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I get a tickle. And uh, he said he thought it was two guys in ghillie suits. So he thought that they were hunters, yeah. two guys hunting that just happened to get hit with the same ash cloud that he was because they were completely grayed out. Oh, yeah. Everything was grayed out that day, I'm sure. Yeah, he was like in it. He was like in a freaking moonscape uh, covered in a blanket of uh, powder and ash. And uh, it's not fresh in my mind exactly his description, but they walked by and he shouted to them, I believe, and there was no response whatsoever. Mm. And when he had shouted and got like a better look, he realized these aren't guys at all. So that's just one incident. Uh you know, there are areas around Mount St. Helens. Now, Jerry lives out there. Jerry, good to talk to you, bro, the other day and keep in touch. Uh, Jerry lives close to Mount St. Helens. So when I say close, maybe 20 miles. That's close. Uh, it's, it, it is close, right? Especially to a big volcano. And he had told me a long time ago. Now, by the way, Jerry is the was the bush pilot that saw the uh, Sasquatch on the Mendenhall Glacier uh, in Alaska that we discussed, what, about a month ago, Kev? Yep. And uh, he said, Bill, man, I live near Mount St. Helens and I've never seen anything. And people claim there's all these critters here and there and I haven't seen anything. Well, a couple of weeks ago, he told me here's some whooping and some other stuff uh, right near his house in the woods. So uh, be careful what you wish for because they may be coming to visit you, you know? No doubt about it, yeah. 
I am sure, I am sure that things had happened back then because you can't escape. Uh, like the people in uh, Pompeii, right? They couldn't escape. No, you know, you and I lived get... out in Spokane, as you know, Bill, uh, well mm -hmm. after the eruption. But there is still a lot of evidence of the eruption. I'm sure there is today as well. When you drive mm -hmm. on I-90 from Spokane to Seattle, um, right. you see areas where like next to the road, it's all white or light gray and it looks like snowfall. And that's actually the ash. Mm -hmm. From the volcano. Yeah, that's not and going anywhere. Nobody of miles when you were near Spokane from the eruption. Yeah. So. And nobody's coming over to clean that up. No, it's now it's baked into the rock too. But yeah, there was yeah. no way to you know no way to clean it up. Yeah. No, just uh, incredible. How far did that spread? Do you know, Kev? Well, I mean, there were like six inches of ash. In Spokane, which had to be a couple of hundred miles from Mount St. Helens. Is that still in Spokane? No, I mean like on the cars and stuff like that. Oh, I see. It was see. like a couple yeah. inches of snow, but it was ash. Wow. So, yeah. That's frightening stuff, man. Very frightening, frightening stuff. Well, I don't know if we answered that question or commented good so. enough on it. I think so, the but... links here. Jay, so mm -hmm. I'm going to look them up too and see if there's anything new there, and I will definitely cover it if it's okay. new and uh, interesting. It certainly sounds interesting. And now we we'll go to Fred, and Fred's email is short, but it's good. It's related to episode 220 and that trail cam photo, Bill, that I posted under okay. episode 220 on our website, yeah. BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, that you received from yeah. a listener. And Fred writes in and says, that looks pretty legit to me. Looks just yep. like, quote unquote, Patty. Keep up the good work. Love the podcast. Yeah. And uh, spot on, brother. I mean, uh, there's nothing about that that reeks of counterfeit. No. And in fact, uh, I actually think it's like Patty's beefier older brother. Could be. Because uh, Patty as a female just kind of looks more burly yeah. to me. She's she's not shaped like for battle. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, she's a big mama, but uh, that, that bugger in that... Uh, uh, in that uh, rear view out of that trail camera, uh, that thing is a serious contender. No doubt. And this is why, you know, I stick to my guns that you don't know what you're running into when you run into a Bigfoot creature. Uh, you know, and some of these buggers got to be walking around with a chip on their shoulder. <laughs> I don't think everybody's walking around looking to play patty cake with you because you're walking around in the woods and you look like a nice guy. Uh, you know, so I look at something like that, man, and that guy could do sh make short work of you uh, at any point in time. And that is one beefy monster. No doubt. And there's so many things about that picture. And if you haven't seen it, Kev, uh, just tell them again where they can get it. Yeah, episode 220. 
So you go to BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com, look under Episodes, mm-hmm. and then go to Episode 220 and double-click on that link, and you'll see a photo there of this trail cam f- uh, uh, picture. Mm-hmm. So Super cool. And there's so many things about that picture that we could talk about, but uh, one of the most telling things, first of all, just the appearance of it, this is definitely uh, – a muscle-filled skin and fur body. The other thing that's quite enlightening is the left leg being lifted at a right angle to the knee, which caught perfectly on the camera, and no human being walks like Mm. that. Uh, And you look at the size of the boot on this thing, on that foot that's lifted off the ground, it's freaking enormous which gives you an indication of how tall that critter must have been. Uh, uh, we can't really tell at what distance the picture was snapped, but the camera caught it well. Yeah. And I imagine that is one big mother, man, because that guy is just stacked up, muscles and layers coming up to the back of the skull. Uh, you can see a variety of different hairlines and patches of skin uh, coming off when the camera went off and caught it. Uh, that ain't no costume, and, and that's no guy in a freaking monkey suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can say what you want, and people will, but that's my opinion. All right, Bill. Well, that's the last of the email this week. Thanks, folks, for writing in. Most importantly, thanks for listening. Um, so we had the Book of the Dead to guide you through the Egyptian afterlife with some handy spells to protect you mm-hmm. as you run into the creatures that protect the area of the gods. And then we went to a bear hunt in Saskatchewan, Canada that led them to some Sasquatch. Yeah, incredible, incredible. And folks, look. If you have something to say, I want you to contact me at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact button. Tell me who you are, a little bit about yourself. Leave your phone number, and I will contact you. Uh, Make sure you leave your phone number and not somebody else's phone number. (laughs) Don't leave him my and, phone number. He keeps calling me and asking me about <laughs> what I wrote in on the website. Yeah. And uh, if you should find yourself, folks, hunting bear in Saskatchewan, or really anywhere else for that matter, in the woods, you best remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.